Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We do have Josh Bales and Phil Moran both out of the studio today, but thankfully Ryan Hempel is with us this morning, so it's good to have you here. And Thanks for having me. Ryan, I think, filled in for me last week when I was gone. And yes, so he's, I was sitting in your chair, quite literally. Now he's becoming a regular, so <laughs> we are excited because we are getting really close to the Reformation Boise Conference. It's October 21st and 22nd on the church, and so we uh, last week and this week we're going to spend some time just thinking about some of the topics that are being talked about at the conference, Dr. Joel Beakey and Dr. Derek Thomason. For the next couple days, we're going to talk about the topic of the communion of saints. This is a session that Dr. Thomas is going to speak on. And And he's going to correct us if we're wrong. (laughs) I was going to say, the bottom line is we do this to help you have greater anticipation for the conference. Like, wait. I can't wait to hear somebody who knows what they're talking about talk about this subject. And that is where we're going this morning is we are trying to prepare you for the anticipation of the conference. I will say that there is still time to register. That helps us. It uh, enters you into some drawings for free material. Um, And this is exciting. You could be the 500th person to register. So we are dangerously close to that number, and it could be you. And I think if you end up being the 500th person registered, that's worthy of some sort of of gift. So keep that in mind. Time to register. You could be number 500. I bet Josh, when he hears this, will kick himself for being the first. Yes, there is no (laughs) reward for first. The first will be last, but the last, at least 500th, will be first. (laughs) That's just us getting back at Josh for having to listen to him brag for... Months and months, months, months. months. <laughs> he he starts the website and then he he registers <laughs> register. Yeah. So in the Apostles' Creed, maybe many of you profess this week after week about what do you believe as a, as a Christian. In the part of that, we read, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, and then the next phrase after that is the communion of saints. So. As we begin this topic, let's just jump in, and what does that mean? How can we define the communion of saints? Coming up on on this uh, question, it, it almost seemed like a strange Venn diagram because in many respects, you're talking about the same thing. You know, just it's it's another metaphor, but it's it provides some character and some. You know, there's there's some nuance. You know, when we when we're talking about the church itself, um, we're talking about those that have been called out, you know, and separated from the world unto Christ. You know, and we're talking about 
everyone from, you know, from Adam, you know, through history. Uh, when we talk about the communion of saints, we're talking about the relationship that we have with one another and with the with the with that church. So when we're talking about the communion of saints, we're we have in mind we have communion with God and his son. We have communion in one respect with those that have gone before us that are in heaven, and we have uh, communion with one another on earth. So there's a um it's a relational word that we're talking about. Yeah, there's a I think an intimacy to it too. That's not just kind of a cold gathering of people, but there is a real fellowship together. You know, when I whenever I think of the idea of communing, I mean we the Lord's Supper is sometimes called communion. I mean there's this horizontal aspect of that sacrament that God has given to us that we are communing together and we're communing at the Lord's table and there's this real unity that's expressed, you know, in that sacrament as we partake of it. And the idea that we have this body that has been gathered together for mutual encouragement, for strength, for um, correction, correcting one another at times in a loving way, coming alongside one another. And I think that's all wrapped up in this idea of communion of the saints that God has given us. There, there are a number of uh, things that we think about when we're talking about the communion of saints. We, we recognize, you know, as believers, you know, Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. We're, we're, we're bound to, you know, that is our home. We're bound to that. We also know that uh, where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, there he is in the midst. So Christ is with us. Um, you know, he's not... He's not apart from us, you know, whether we're worshiping in one church on the west side of, of town or on the east side of town. He's present there, and because he's present there and because we're united to him, we're also in communion with those that are worshiping him across town or across the world. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, that level of saints that have gone before. I mean, mm-hmm. we enter into that, you know, when we come to worship, we're entering into that uh, worship service, that throne room uh, worship that's going on day and night and join that communion. So we all in this room come from a Reformed perspective and maybe not the beginning of the Reformed thought process, but early on is a man by the name of John Calvin. And he writes on the communion of saints, this is in his Institutes, that saints are gathered into the society of Christ. Um, today we would talk about that, that we're in union with, with Christ. So it wasn't a buzzword back then. So Calvin wasn't using the buzzwords of the 21st century of union with Christ. And he says, and on the principle that whatever benefits God confers upon them, they should in turn share with one another. If truly convinced that God is our Father and Christ our head, being united in brotherly love, they cannot but share their benefits with one another. So powerful is participation in the church that it keeps us in the society of God. In the very word communion, there is a wealth of comfort. Because when we know in our hearts that all those who, by the kindness of God the Father, through the working of the Holy Spirit, have entered into fellowship with Christ, are set apart as God's property and personal possession, and that when we are their number, we share the, that 
great grace. And the sense that Calvin is saying, and eventually the Westminster Confession and and the Hadeberg Catechism picks up on this, refines it a little bit, just makes it a little bit more direct, is that as a child of God, we are in union with Jesus Christ. And as those that are in Christ, we receive all of these benefits, all of these graces, all of these gifts. And one of those things that we receive is that we now enter into communion horizontal with other people. And the idea is that our union with Christ opens up the floodgates of heaven of all of these blessings And what Calvin says, what the Heidelberg says, what the Westminster Confession says is that those opening up of the floodgates of all of the blessings of heaven are to be used for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's that communion element. So that we're not just brought into a a building, into a gathering of people like Jonathan was saying in a cold way, that there's this actual vital union with one another and we're pouring into the lives of other people, and other people are pouring into our life. Yeah, we're experiencing uh, the love of God shed abroad in our own heart, and uh, we share that with the person that's sitting beside us uh, that is experiencing that same thing. And then together, uh, uh, we're united in um, loving the things that God loves. You know, you know, if you think about God loving uh, the church. You know the those that he's brought to himself. That same, if he has that love for us, sinful as we could be, we ought to have that same love with toward one another. And that's one of the reasons why we have those one another passages in Scripture. It, it's a reminder of our fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. When I, how, oh. I was just going to say when I first started to date, who is now my wife, and I was going to church with her. Um, she went to a, a congregation that they would literally go into church, go and sit in their pew, and not talk to anybody outside of, of the church as they came into the church and as they sat in their pew, didn't engage with anybody. Church would get, get out. They would all file out of the church, not talking to anybody, leave the church, go to the cars, drive home. Hmm. And I said to her at one point, wait, what? what is this? I said, she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you guys never interact with each other. And she, that was all she knew. So she didn't really know anything about it. I'm like, that's not a church. There's no fellowship here. There's no communion of the saints. Mm-hmm. What What is going on? And it was just odd to me because <laughs> that element, every week they profess the, the Apostles' Creed. And I'm like, why don't you just take out the phrase the communion of saints? I mean it was added late into the in the apostles creed anyway. Why don't, why don't you just go back to the earliest form of the creed because you don't believe in the communion of saints. Mm. And so when we gather with God's people, there should be this this living fellowship with one another. I mean, we are all united to Christ. This is what Jonathan was saying yesterday. And because we're all united to Christ, we have a union with each other. The same spirit works and dwells within each of us. That there that there shouldn't be a richer fellowship anywhere on mm-hmm. earth than what exists in the church. I'm not sure what the uh, the practice is in your churches, but in the RPCNA, typically after our worship services are over, 
know, the benediction's been, you know, proclaimed and people are singing a doxology, maybe sometimes not. As a pastor, we always walk up the middle of the aisle and we stand by the back of the back door and we greet people as they leave. And in my previous church, one of the things that I always appreciated week to week is I'd often just stand there alone. And I would look out and I would see the congregation talking to one another another, and they were just ignoring me and uh, I was fine with that like that's great you know they're they're conversing with one another fellowshipping together and you know James makes this communion of saints really a test of our faith and the genuineness of our faith because in James chapter uh, 2 when he's talking about faith and works you know he says you know if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, uh, is dead. The way he's getting at there is, you know, we can give lip service, service to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, but if we're not actually showing that expression of love, then what is a profit? And it should cause us to question and to consider like, okay, where, how is the Holy spirit working me? If I'm not loving my brother and sister in this way, and this isn't a social justice thing. It's just providing the basic needs of life. If your brother and sister is is without it, it is a natural affection that takes place with um, believers believing in, you know, those that believe in Christ have this natural affection. It's almost, it's the same kind of natural affection that a parent has for a child or a child for a parent. You're you're born into it. We're born again into this big, wonderful, forever family of God, and there's a natural affection that comes with that. Paul would say that it, we should genuinely love one another from the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you tomorrow. 